Hey, welcome back to the PHP Town Hall Podcast. This is Ben Edmonds, along with Phil Sturgeon, as always. And we are joined by Selena Deckelman, who is an employee of Mozilla and a contributor to Postgres. But I will let her tell you more about the fun stuff she works on. Selena, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, uh, thanks for, for having me on. Uh, so... I started contributing and being involved in the Postgres community in about 2006, and um, I got my start maintaining an enterprise resource planning database for a bike parts company. Um, and from there, I started running conferences. Fun. What'd you say? That sounds so much fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, ERP is actually the worst. But anyway, um, the, the bike parts company was pretty awesome. Uh, and then after that, I got started helping run conferences for Postgres and got a lot more involved in the open source community just in general. Uh, and after, after uh, taking a stab at a startup for about a year, I, I joined Mozilla. And there I work on Postgres-related stuff and um, on this database called uh, Socorro. And that's a collection of all of the Firefox crashes um, and a data warehouse associated with that. And so I, I write code with a team to uh, manage all that stuff. That sounds fun. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So is it just Postgres you have um, sort of handling that, or do you have any other what other technologies involved in handling this massive uh, data warehousing project? Yeah, uh, so it's what my, my boss calls a data mullet. It's got a Postgres in the front and a several hundred terabyte uh, HBase cluster in the back. Um, and we've recently added RabbitMQ uh, for some real queuing. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else going on in there. I mean, we've got some like you know memcache or whatever, but but that's that's the bulk of it. Nice. So the money comes from the really heavy on the back. Is that what's going on there? <laughs> yes. That's not the name. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I was, I was at a Riot uh, conference uh, here in New York fairly recently, and they were talking about like combining Postgres and Riot for the uh, Riot or React, whatever the hell, uh, for like super huge databases because they uh, have uh, a lot. Kind of like Riot using it as a intelligent cache, but also you know it's better than a cache, and then having sort of Postgres underneath it. Um, so the Riot handles most of the distributed load, and then and then Postgres kind of handles as many responses as it can in between. Yeah. But it's some crazy shit that's beyond my pay grade, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's kinda interesting, like the different layered database things that are going on. I mean it's fairly common for people to use Memcache or Redis or yeah, React or Rack uh, on the front end and then have Postgres Postgres somewhere in the back for doing like the heavy the heavy lifting for things like materialized views and stuff like that. So you'll have just like this, this soup of data. You need to you need to make some reports, and then you want to be able to serve it really fast in a distributed way. So yeah. there's yeah, there's usually not just a single data store that you can use that that provides all of the functionality that you might need in a in a in a modern large web app. Gotcha. Because like a lot of people, especially in the PHP community over the last couple of years, like oh, we used to use MySQL all the time, but now we can use Mongo for everything because it's cool and web scale and it's just you know, a pile of shite. 
And I that's always the case. Whenever you're, whenever you're uh, picking between, you know, should I use SQL or should I use NoSQL, you probably want to end up using both, really. Uh, so you have, like, NoSQL is really good at, like, getting you fast documents and embedding data and that sort of thing. So Ryak and Mongo can help you out there. Great. Um, and then if you want to do, like, custom reporting and really complicated stuff, then trying to, uh, trying to do that with just key value or, uh, or document storage is, is, a, is a pain in the balls. So it's good to have kind of both of them there. Yeah, and the the thing about the thing that I've heard developers tell me about tools like Mongo um, or CouchDB is that it just helps them get up and running with an app super fast, right? Like you don't have to install something and mess with permissions and figure out what user goes where and like all this crap that you normally have to deal with um, with either MySQL or Postgres. Uh, it's more it's more kind of like SQLite, but even better because you don't even have to define a schema. Uh, and if they're, you know, and so, so people will start out developing that way. And so like, because of that, that development model, which I actually think is a really, really great way of, of starting apps, uh, people have started writing things to translate the Mongo API, like into Postgres. (laughs) And so so now there's these, yeah, there's these pretty funny projects, um, out there to help people do that, which I actually think is a great, um, transition Stuff. Yeah, uh, I think that's one of the, the, the best uses of uh, something like Mongo and these NoSQL things. Is while you're while you're prototyping, or like you know, if you're following the the RAD um, methodology and just trying to get from prototype to version one to version two as fast as you can, then things like NoSQL are great when people aren't really looking at it too much because um, you, you just save the documents and then after a while you're like, okay, you should probably move this to, to relational uh, systems or whatever it is you choose and then you can just start to uh, really solidify the schema and say this is the field we've ended up using so we should probably make this our schema and then the versions from there can go on using relational databases. Yeah, I, I'm like, so, so I'm... I haven't really developed many large applications. Uh, you know, the Sequoia is probably the first tool that I've written a substantial amount of code for, to be honest. Uh, so for me, like I've been kind of figuring out how this is going to work. You know, developing reports for our users is actually a fairly complicated process because we have to, you know, create the schema, you know, write um, a stored procedure to create the report write the middleware, you know, then interface with the front end. And for a while we had a PHP and a Python front end. So we had to write two front ends <laughs> for it. So it was just like, yeah. it was a lot of work, a lot of code, you know? And, um, and so now we're kind of moving to this model where we have uh, JSON in Postgres that you can access directly and prototype um, initial reports. And so like the front end guys can like figure that out before they even come to me and we, you know, figure out a more efficient way of doing it. And it's been so much nicer to give those tools to people than to force them to wait for the whole massive, you know, cycle of getting every other uh, piece in between set up before it gets to the front end. Yeah, actually, the, on that topic, the JSON is something I wanted to cover. So um, JSON's a fairly new data type for Postgres. Yes. 9.3, I believe. But you've had HStore for a little while, right? So yeah, HStore's been around for a while. It's like 8.1 or 8.2, I think. Okay. So, like, what are the real advantages of JSON versus HStore, except for, you know, compatibility, maybe, across different languages? Yeah. 
so so JSON um, became a native data type in 9.2. So if you were to deploy a released version of Postgres right now, you would you would get it. And the 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 primary like functionality difference between the two is that um, the JSON data type is hierarchical, and HStore is not. Oh, okay. That's yeah. That's a big difference, though. Yeah. So if you have a hierarchical data type, um, you probably you probably want to use JSON. Um, the the other piece is that the the JSON currently is stored as text. It's stored as compressed text in the back end, like we have LZO compression, uh, you know, on our tables as our they're written to disk. Uh, so, um, so anyway, so it's stored as text. So we actually preserve, in that sense, we preserve the data types. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head. I should have looked this up before I came on, but I, I don't believe HStore uh, is able to do that. Um, okay. Yeah. And so the when you're when you're kind of deciding right now, like which one you want to use, I would say. There's a couple things to, to weigh. Actually, um, my friend Christoph just posted a blog post talking about like his his disambiguation. You know how he would decide right now. Let me just like oh, take it up. Yeah, we'll throw uh, that in the show notes. Just yeah, yeah, and um, his his whole thing is about do you need performance right now, um, or you know are you okay with taking a little bit of a performance hit in order to you know, uh, use a JSON data type either with JavaScript inside the database, like you can put PLV8 and JavaScript store procedures to manipulate things, um, or there's like a bunch of uh, Postgres native functions that you can use to access that. Um, and yeah, currently HStore would be much more performant, <laughs> but uh, in another probably version, it'll, it'll be a lot better. Very cool. And for people that are maybe new to Postgres, uh, we just started on that topic because you mentioned JSON. Mentioned JSON, but Postgres has the things you're used to for the most part from, say, MySQL. But then it also has a lot of other really cool features. A lot of things that uh, you know you're probably not used to if you use MySQL most of the time. One of the new additions to that toolset is the JSON data type. So you can actually store JSON data in Postgres as a native field type. Uh, and yep. also thing about that is I was chatting to some people at um, uh, PeersConf uh, fairly recently. They were talking about how they converted their entire application, which is in production and running live and has a you know low to medium traffic, but there's still people looking at it. They went from version 1 to version 2, recoding from MySQL to MongoDB, because they had a lot of data, which was um, a lot of data would be like, They'd have random fields. I think it was like a, a school course program, and there were lots of different courses that would have all different custom fields. But they have they have like a name, and then like a, an author, and then they have a lot of these shared fields, and then just other stuff. So they thought, I know what would be perfect for this. Let's just recode it to Mongo, so that every collection can have other stuff. And I said, what? Why didn't you just use you know uh, Postgres, so you don't have to completely recode your MySQL application, and then just use the data field type, uh, the the JSON field type? And I said. The what field type? Oh, <laughs> the JSON field type. You know, you can store like custom data in there. Yeah. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I got I went to a JavaScript conference uh, just you know a month or so ago, and was giving a talk about the JSON data type and and also PLV8 in Postgres. And I had quite a few people there who were like, "What? Like, 
what do you mean? How come nobody told me this? And it's like, uh, yeah, we're, you know, Postgres doesn't have like a single company behind it, you know, like, like MySQL did. So we don't have this like awesome marketing arm. You're like talking to the marketing arm right here. (laughs) There's like three of us. (laughs) So it's just people that are involved kind of, what what is the, the process for disseminating information? Like the people that are involved blog about it. And then if you don't necessarily follow Postgres uh, updates from these people, then you don't notice them, right? Like, you have to know that you're interested in Postgres to see the updates, but if you're not interested, (laughs) how do you know that you're interested? Yeah, yeah, no, it's so true. I mean, our documentation is pretty pretty amazing, but, um, you know, you got to dig a little bit, like, on the data types, like, you know, if you're coming, if you're coming, especially from a non-relational database background, or maybe you don't have any database experience at all, you wouldn't know to go and like check out the insane list of data types. You know that we provide, like we have a native um, INET type, so you can encode, uh, you can encode IP addresses and um, insider notation and very efficiently access them. And there's all these cool like comparison operators for them and stuff like that. And that's like just, like you know, if you don't have any experience with database, if you don't know what data types are, then you probably wouldn't even go there to begin with. So, yeah, so you kind of have to, um, there's, we actually have a planet. So it's planet.postgresql.org. And that's where I think most of the action is as far as like the stuff that people think is cool, the new features that core developers are working on. And um, and a lot of times people kind of post their plans for an upcoming release. So right now uh, we've, we're closing where we have closed 9.3. Uh, feature creation and we're just working on bugs and getting all that closed out for release this fall. So 9.3 will come out probably, you know, September timeframe. And then um, after September, we have these things called commit fests and there's an app for that. It's like commitfest.postgresql.org and you can see all of the patches that people are working on. Uh, and that's what we think of. <laughs> I, I, I tend to think that our hackers think of as marketing for our new features. <laughs> you can go and see um, the source that everyone's posting. Uh, there's a few of us that do work specifically on marketing. Like I'm, I'm part of the press team. It's myself and Bruce Momjin and uh, Josh Berkus. And, you know, uh, when, whenever we have a new release, we'll do a series of calls with journalists uh, who are interested in Postgres. And, you know, we have gotten more interest lately in people who are, like, doing big data coverage and stuff like that. But, yeah, there's just um, – we kind of beg, borrow, and steal – press releases from whatever companies are interested in, in doing press releases, but we don't have like a budget or a company really that, that does this stuff for us. Yeah. So this is for people that don't know, it's a completely open source project, right? It's not owned by any one entity. Is that correct? That's, that is correct. Um, it is BSC licensed and our documentation is also BSC licensed. And uh, we have somewhere between like 350 to 400 contributors a year. And I figure that out by going back through our commit log and pulling out names that people include in each one of the commits. Because we, the way that we acknowledge our contributors is by, by just naming them uh, in the commits that they contribute to. Cool. So for people that are you know, maybe worried about MySQL and what type of licensing feature that might have, Postgres is a very good open source alternative. 
Yeah, and I mean, MySQL isn't going away. I mean, they they can't they can't take away the the open source versions of MySQL that you have now. And to a certain extent, um, it seems like Oracle has been a pretty good steward of like new versions of MySQL. That's at least like what the MySQL DBAs that I know have told me. Like they've been getting steady releases of that. And um, there's also Maria DB. You know, there's 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 a bunch of different options for you if you're concerned about the future of Oracle's stewardship. There's a couple of alternatives. Like Brian, um, Brian Aker, Aker, what's his name? Yeah, yep. Uh, he's working on, is it him working on Drizzle? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, pretty much the same thing, but it's meant to be more cloud, so it's more web scale or something. Like that. There's, a, there's a whole bunch of, like, uh, alternatives around that haven't got the, the MySQL stamp on it, the Oracle stamp on it, at least. Um, yeah. But I know what you mean. Like they, they, they have been kind of knocking out some new versions. And, and uh, it was two years ago, everyone was freaking out, just going like, oh, no, it's the end of MySQL. We're going to have to uninstall it from all of our servers immediately. And then nothing <laughs> happened after that, and it wasn't a problem. Just like... Yeah, deafening silence. Is everyone totally freaked fine. out over <laughs> just fine, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest difference, like, from an open source perspective, you know, because, I like, open source to me is less about... I mean, it is about the license, you know, but it's also about the way that the code is developed. And I think the significant difference um, between a project like Postgres and and MySQL, and MySQL actually from the beginning, I would say, uh, is that MySQL doesn't tend to accept a lot of outside code. Right. You know, they um, they had a company yeah you know and um there were some times where they did accept some patches and i think MariaDB, they're they're trying to go a little bit different route with it although i haven't to be honest uh kept entirely up to date on that but um you know postgres is truly a open source project in practice and that we accept a tremendous amount of code from non-commercial contributors like um a great deal of the code that went into uh, some some core backend stuff. I'm gonna say it's SSI. Um, serializable is the feature, and um, you know I, I won't go into to exactly what that is. It's it's a really cool feature. Um, has to do um, with concurrency basically, and it allows uh, uh, it allows users of it to not have to pay that much attention to concurrency. They just flip on this feature and then all of a sudden you've got this like amazing concurrency model inside of Postgres that you can use. But anyway, like it, um, it was largely written by, you know, uh, I don't know if he was a professor or a student at the time, but this, this, you know, I think, I think probably a grad student from MIT and, um, this DBA from the Wisconsin court system. And these two guys <laughs> collaborated on this, this intense, like huge, features a lot of code and cranked it out in a year. Um, and and that, those are the kind of contributors that we get, you know, uh, grad students who, you know, are writing some ridiculous paper on some obscure SQL feature, and then uh, DBAs who've decided that they really like Postgres and they want to give something cool back. That's awesome. I mean, that's the point of open source, right? Yeah. No, I mean, it's what keeps me involved in this community, you know, like I uh, appreciate the people who are involved in it so much. Um, it's like, they are definitely... Among like the open source people that I know, the Postgres people are definitely my closest friends. Very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about what are maybe some of the advantages in MySQL. I'm not trying to 
convert anyone per se from MySQL to Postgres, but I've been using Postgres for a while. I really like it. I like the open source-ness of it and some of the extra functionality. And I just really want people to know about some of these other options, like the example Fillgate, where they didn't even know there was a JSON data type of Postgres they could have used and saved themselves a ton of trouble. Yeah, I, I think yeah, yeah. I think another thing that people don't realize exists in Postgres and that's like fast and cool and awesome is the full text search. Um, and we we have a, a complete full text search engine that just ships with Postgres. Um, it's called T Search, and uh, it's based on stemming of words rather than like a complete word. So like if you were you know, searching for the singular and the plural of something, you know, you'll you'll find both words with okay. uh, T search, um, and that's not the same in MySQL. Actually, like their their searches um, uh, matches whole words, and so it's it's super useful functionality that a lot of people don't even ever try to use. How does uh, just to jump in there? So, how does that full text search line up with? Um some of the stop words that MySQL have, because that, that always gets me going when uh, I try searching for new or used or like any of the... I worked for a car auto dealer, uh, did a job for an auto dealer company, and they wanted to search for new and used cars, and the words both new and used would just be stripped out of the search. And then... <laughs> so I had, to, like, I had to replace the word new with, um, with bangers and the word used with mash, and it would store them in the database as bangers and mash. <laughs> So that when you search them, it would come up. Like this is a this is like a one week project. I'm like, I'm not going to fix this properly. I'm just going to make it work. Hilarious hack. it line up with stuff like that where uh, you have stop words that, that just don't work? They're ripped out. <laughs> well, you have full control over that. Like you can specify your own stop words. Um, you can do things like uh, proximity and relevance. You know, you can you can specify. You know, if this word is near this other word, then it's more relevant than this other thing. Um, it's very. Yeah, you could solve that problem without a search and replace. Nice. <laughs> You can kind of do that on MySQL as well, but I knew it had to get installed on a few different servers, and I didn't want to like remind them. Once you've installed all the code, go and like remove these two words out of the stock file. And it's just like, it's going to hack this beast. Okay, cool. And what other sort of things are there that would be like an obvious difference to a, to a MySQL user coming over? Uh, well, I think uh, the way we allow certain types of indexes, we allow uh, complex indexes that include expressions. So you can say, for example, uh, create a, an index that excludes a certain value that you don't care about. Uh, like, say, you've got um, a field that has a bunch of numbers in it and a bunch of nulls. You could actually create an index that excludes all of the nulls. Um, and there's other ways of dealing with that particular problem. That's just a simple explanation of what you can do. But um, it, it fully supports like what you would put into a where clause as an index. Um, and that can be super useful for uh, you know a lot of a lot of complicated queries that otherwise would be very slow. Um, some other stuff that we have like uh, PostGIS is a separate project. It's GPL licensed, so we can't ever unfortunately include it <laughs> with Postgres ah. itself. But um, it's a great project, and uh, we think that probably half of all the people that use Postgres are PostGIS users. And what it is is it's a uh, um, it kind of has, I think, set the standard for GIS uh, capability in a database. Um, it's just so ubiquitous. Like, 
it's, awesome. it's brilliant. I mean, I've, I've used it in the past and just coming from my SQR where if you want to do find any location near me, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the, the queries for that or the COSTANS functions. It looks like someone's just mashed at the keyboard in an angry rage for a little while and it's the query <laughs> you generally have to use. Um, well, we can make... You can make your own like stored procedures and functions and stuff to use, but yeah, the Postgres stuff is is so much sweeter. Um, who's that actually? I haven't looked into it. Who's it made by? Like, who who's the one making the choice that it's going to say GPL? And would that ever be something they could change in a future version and maybe get rolled in? Yeah. So, um, so I know I know these guys, and I've talked with them a little bit about this issue. I, I don't think it's ever going to change. Um, I I. I my understanding is, is that the original decision to do it was sort of like a thumb, you know, a thumb in the nose at at the Postgres communities. Um, but at this point, like that's all water under the bridge. But the thing about changing the license is you have to go back and get uh, you have to get permission from every single contributor, you know. And um, yeah. Postgres, like Postgres, you know, is a fairly old project. It's been around for, for a very long time. It was, it was before contributor agreements were really a thing that anyone thought would be a good idea. So I, I seriously doubt it'll ever happen. But you know, it's, I, I think it's okay. Like it, it's the type of project like so, so Postgres itself is an extension to Postgres. So you don't need anything very special about Postgres to add it on to your database. It's just a set of uh, functions and a few data types that um, are pretty modular. So, you know, installing it isn't that big of a deal and there's tons of awesome Linux packaging and even, uh, windows and OS 10 packaging for it. Yeah. And just to, to say again, how awesome it is. I've done a lot of geospatial work and you end up writing just pages of backend code to do the things that you can do in you know, a single function call. It just makes your life so much easier. Definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, and I think in general, so I asked the um, Freenode PostgreSQL channel what I should mention uh, on this podcast, and uh, <laughs> like a big a big thing that that people pointed out was just like the amount of data that you can retrieve in a single query because you can write very complex SQL, and it's not always like something that everybody wants to do, uh, but it can be extremely valuable when you're trying to limit the number of round trips between the database and, you know, whatever ultimately is serving data to your web app. So we have this other thing they're called um, common table expressions. And I'll, I'll give you some guys some links to like what this stuff is, but it's basically a way of uh, creating temporary tables inside of a single SQL query and then accessing that data. Um, and it's extremely efficient. It's much more efficient than temporary tables. And the syntax for it is actually, like, once you kind of wrap your head around it, it's really simple. It's, like, you know, about as simple as declaring a temporary table and then pulling the data out of it. Um, and we've even added functionality to that so you can write to these uh, CTEs. Um, so you can create some very, very insane and awesome uh, data structures uh, just in memory with, with a single query. Got a got a couple of questions from Twitter people. Um, okay, this is just a nice simple one. Uh, hopefully, uh, from Craig Kirstein's. Uh, which <laughs> question's easier than this uh, surname. I always suck at surnames. Although my surname's Sturgeon, and that's apparently difficult for some people to pronounce anyway. So I can't say a damn thing. 
uh, <laughs> he asks, would, uh, could you talk about the, the, the difference in names between post, uh, PostgreSQL and PostgreSQL? Because people always have a hard time working out what they're going to call it. Oh, yeah. PostgreSQL like, um, or PostgreSQL. <laughs> right, right. Well, the canonical pronunciation at this point is PostgreSQL. And um, if you want to add the SQL at the end, people say PostgreSQL. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, it actually, it's really funny, like, Tom Lane, in the last few years, has said that the naming of the database is probably the one largest mistake that the project has ever made. <laughs> yeah, because at one point it was called Postgres, uh, because it was supposed to be, like, after Ingress. Uh, okay. You know, yet another nerd pun. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they, it, at this point, I don't know that we'd ever go in and put the effort in to change the name. Uh, but there are things internally, you know, that have been done to make it possible. And we have this thing called a core team is like, I don't know, six or seven people or something like that. And they at one point released a statement saying, you know, we officially recognize Postgres as the official nickname. So... <laughs> Tricky one. Okay. Well, I mean, even MySQL suffers from that. You know, it's MySQL yeah. or MySQL, and that is a right. debate. No, and I've never figured out the right one. I say it both ways, I think. Well, I'm just and she swears by MySQL. So. All right, all right. I'll try to say it that way. <laughs> I think it's going to be like the lifelong problem in the, in the tech community of just like working out how to say stuff because most of my education was self-taught. So like the number of problems I had with like trying to say words out loud when I started working in a like 50 developer company was ridiculous. Just like, oh, yes. to invalidate the cache and they're like, why are you saying it cache? That's that, ridiculous. I, like, oh, I don't know where it's got any on the end. <laughs> it's actually no, it's so true. Like so many of us have taught ourselves just by like reading, right? Like yeah. so it's, yeah. And plus with cache, like people say, yeah, it's an actual word. I'm like, yeah, but I've never had a weapons cache before. Like I've never had <laughs> one when I need to use that word before currently. Um, it happens. Just <laughs> agree with me, so I feel this bad about myself. <laughs> yeah, no, my friend uh, Gabrielle Roth did a presentation where she listed out all the different ways that she'd ever seen people either pronounce or write out Postgres. And... Um, <laughs> She, I'm pretty sure she had about 50 different ways, uh, and you know, and I, I keep adding more every year to that. That's, That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Random thing. Uh, another question. Um, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but do you have any idea why Amazon uh, RDS choose to just not support Postgres? Um. Well, it's pretty hard. Like RDS is all based on MySQL. And so they have like a whole infrastructure set up. I mean, I don't have any firsthand knowledge, but I would say that um, operationally it'd be very difficult because RDS's whole model is based on a technology that they've modified and kind of learned and, and know really well, particularly with the replication. You know, I, th I think that's one of the hardest parts of scaling any database is, um, is setting up replication and backups in a way that doesn't totally destroy performance. Um, and also so you don't lose data secondarily. They added a few new types of things recently. I'm just going to on, go on ahead and look that up. Um, do <laughs> but they added SQL Server. Yeah, they've got SQL Server and they've got Oracle, uh, as well as MySQL Community Edition. So they have uh, a few different options. 
options. I was kind of looking at it thinking, you bastards, just add Postgres because I really want to, I really want to switch at work. The, the, the developer that was in there before just used a bunch of MySQL with a bunch of his like handcrafted um, location-based uh, functions and they're all a bit, eh, they kind of work, you know, and it's gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really want to switch it to use like Postgres and, and if I could just, you know, do a little conversion and use another RDS instance, I'd be so happy, but you only have MySQL yeah, yeah. or SQL server. Yeah, that um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why, why they did that. I, I would guess because they have a partnership either with Microsoft or uh, Microsoft and Oracle to support that, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, you there are some cloud options. Um, Heroku is one. Uh, Engineered is another one. They've done a lot of work on supporting okay. Postgres. Um, you know, and there there are a few others. There's actually they keep they keep a, a somewhat complete list on the PostgresQL.org website but it, it really could could be updated i think i started a wiki page not too long ago because i was pissed that nobody had updated it in a while but anyway yeah there, there there are a few options these days but yeah having amazon support it would be really great i thought that one of the technologies they were using i was it called redshift or something you can see how much like cloud stuff i do it's not very much like yeah. i use heroku <laughs> and i talk a lot with the uh, i talk a lot with the engineer folks but um but you know, for me, like I'm I'm working on data warehousing things that you know I've got like several terabyte size databases and in the cloud, the performance is not so so great. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, you know they they've I think played around with Postgres related technologies, uh, like Greenplum is based on an earlier version of Postgres. But yeah, it's it's not really been a thing. They tried, and I think honestly, the main reason why uh, Postgres did not get adopted by service providers early was that our our ops um, setups were not easy. <laughs> they were really complicated. We had a complicated permissions model. Um, our replication system was not really that great. It was for a long time just add-ons that you had to install um, either like Sloney or Bacardo or, you know, later on uh, Skype created this thing called Lundist. And, um, you know, we finally in the last like three years have had built-in binary replication, uh, similar to what MySQL has provided for a long time, um, but also, you know, significantly different enough that it's, you know, not something that would ever be compatible with another database. But anyway, so now we finally have this binary replication, and so a service provider could use it, but that's been very, very recent. And that, you know, and that's a lot of the backup and replication technology that Heroku uses. Yeah, and that was always a big downside to Postgres for a while there. Now, what do you yeah. recommend as far as pooling for Postgres? Because there's a few options out there now. Pooling? Yeah. Yeah, um, well, uh, we use PG Bouncer. Uh, there's also PG Pool. Those are probably the two main things that people use as like a, a standalone service. Um, I've also seen for Java shops, they'll just use, I don't know, what is it Hibernate? Okay. Um, or whatever pooler comes with their, their Java stuff. Um, I don't know what the, the, the PHP language poolers are, but if I, if I were writing something in PHP, I would use, I would probably start with PG Bouncer and see if it worked for me. And if it didn't, I'd try PG Pool. Yeah, we've actually been using PG Bouncer lately, so I just wanted to see what the opinion on that was. Yeah, it's a great tool. It's really lightweight and easy to configure, and it doesn't really fail <laughs> very often. It's nice. Which is always a plus. <laughs> yeah. 
If um, if you spotted any tools, you mentioned earlier the uh, Mongo DB to Postgres converter. Um, I haven't used it in a while, but like three years ago, two years ago, when I was um, asking around with making my own little startup, like every developer at some point in their career thinks they can do, um, I was trying to make some uh, called Traveler app. I think Ben signed up for it, and it, it was kind of cool. It like plan. That's a good idea. You, I like it. Yeah, it's like plan where you're going to go and then like use your social uh, stream to update where you've been and give you updated information on like when you might be arriving at your next location so people can plan meetings with you and shit. It was all very convoluted and I was like, ooh, Rails and Postgres and yay. Um, I came across this really cool gem called Taps. I'm not sure if it's still going, um, but you can straight up just like uh, import from this database, push to that database, and one of them might be MySQL, one of them might be Postgres, and one might be SQLite. And you can just import and out, you know, push up and, and just just sync uh, between completely disparate uh, databases. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, there's another one called Multicorn. Yeah. That one's pretty great. I don't know if that one's in Ruby too. Let me see. Multicorn. Okay. You have to find me some links at the end of the show so we can get more on the on the show notes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of um, little tools like that. I mean, you can do a lot of that. I mostly work these days with uh, SQL Alchemy. Uh, because you know, like I said, I'm I'm doing a lot of uh, Python work, and then the the reason why I ended up using SQL Alchemy. So SQL Alchemy is an ORM, and um, the reason why I ended up using it is because Mike Bayer, who's one of the core developers of SQL Alchemy, wrote this other little tool called Alembic. And um, other than having like a super awesome name, it is the single best migration like database schema migration tool that I've ever seen. Um, it like has versions that are hashes instead of, uh, instead of being like monotonically increasing numbers. So you can have like multiple developers creating uh, migrations for code without having them all be in sync or in lockstep with a version release or something like that. Okay. Uh, and, and it does amazing, it does such a great job of reflection and it's very, it's been very configurable and, and useful. And like, that's right now it's like, Oh, I just love that tool so much. Like every time I use it, it makes me insanely happy. <laughs> yeah, reading the uh, blog post um, about that, it looked pretty, like pretty handy stuff. Um, I didn't, what, what sort of language is that in for, for the listeners? Like you say an ORM and stuff. I assume it's Python. Your, your main yeah, it is in Python and, and, and so, you know, probably not super useful. I was thinking about this before. I actually don't know um, about very many PHP tools. Oh, actually, there, there is there is um, one PHP tool that's really great. But before I, before I say that, I'll finish my other thought. So the, the Alembic is written in Python, and it uses uh, SQL Alchemy uh, for creating and reading models. So, you know, it wouldn't be super useful probably to a pure PHP shop, but I think some of the ideas in it, like I would love it if other ORMs ripped off all of the ideas that he has in that code. I mean, it's it's such a better way of managing schema migration. Yeah, well, I'll, um, I'll tell Taylor to, uh, Taylor to have a look. Um, Taylor being the uh, developer of uh, Laravel 4, a very popular new PHP framework that we've been raving about, and I think we had Taylor on the first episode here, so he's a friend of the show. Um, and he has a a very similar uh, migration system, um, which is getting away from migration one, migration two. Oh, two people made migration yes. three. Fuck you both. You know, he's kind of uh, got away from that. <laughs> it is. Combination of uh, 
it's got the date time at the front and then like a unique name. So as long as it's like the middle finger is silent, but it's there in every existing migration system. (laughs) That same process has been the same problem for two very popular PHP frameworks because I made that made made it work that way for two popular PHP frameworks, which is (laughs) stories behind why. Um, but uh, the Laravel has got like a, a date time stamp at the front and then it's got an underscore and then it's got the unique name. So as long as two developers don't use the exact same name at the exact, then it's fine, um, which is a, a damn good step in the right direction. Um, so yeah, uh, if anyone's interested in the kind of like migrations, but they're not using uh, Python, which I kind of assume they probably aren't if they listen to this, uh, not. <laughs> this, this podcast, um, it is, yeah, definitely check out Eloquent, um, the, the Laravel 4. ORM. Uh, you can use it outside of, of Laravel. I've got a blog post showing you how somewhere. Um, and, and yeah, you can just straight up swap your database over. You could you could be using MySQL now. You could import your database um, from MySQL to Postgres using TAPS, which is a gem you can install locally. Um, and then you can just change your configuration file in Laravel 4 and pretty much nothing's going to change. Like Eloquent is built in such a way that it's not going to get completely confused and, and it, it pretty much just works. Obviously, it's using a, a low-level set of features, so you, you won't magically have, like, JSON field support and way and all that stuff, but, like, the basics uh, of your application will be converted over easily. Big fan of that. I don't know if you ever saw Kirby Knighter. I know you're not from the PHP world, but Kirby Knighter's thing is like, we totally support Postgres, and then looking at it, it just doesn't. Like if you try yeah, it, it, on Forge, man, that shit. Yeah, DB Forge, it just doesn't. Like if you try creating a full text field, nope, doesn't work. Uh, yeah, that's, nope. that's such a bummer. I'm I'm really hoping that some of the stuff that Heroku is doing gets like more generally adopted. Then I think we'll see we'll see some better interoperability. But the the tool that I was thinking of, the PHP tool that I was thinking of, is called PG Fuin. Um, okay. It's written by some some French guys a while back, and it's it's written in PHP. And what it is is a, a query analysis tool, so you can throw your logs at it, and it'll go through and kind of try to figure out, you know, what's taking the most amount of time, which queries are taking the most amount of time, which are the most frequently occurring, you know, and and just in general, like where problem spots are. It's Very it's cool. a great tool to use. Definitely. Um. Yeah. Random pause. There's always a little random pause when neither me or Ben can think of anything useful to say. Um, <laughs> it usually comes because I will spend the entire podcast talking and uh, Ben won't get a word in edgeways unless I shut the fuck up now and then. So <laughs> it's important. Or it could just be we're all drinking at the same time. That too. How, uh, how many are you through so far? Mm. Just two. I, I picked up a, I don't know, what is it? Like a 24 ounce? Like a... Uh, there's this brewery called Ninkasi. They're out of Eugene, Oregon. They make some awesome beer. And I got a Tricera Hops, and now I'm drinking a Radiant. <laughs> That's an amazing name. That's an amazing name. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> we should just spend part of the podcast talking about how awesome Portland is. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I was uh, except for that guy, that guy Tom Dale. He ruined it. Now everybody's figuring like, out. He wrote some blog post saying how much he is tired of San Francisco and San Francisco paints him, so he's moving to Portland. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, I was watching it all the time. You'd hate it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's an amazing video of some guy in uh, uh, Portland who was basically, he made a, um, an Oreo cream separator. 
Uh, I tweeted this the other day, I'm not sure if Ben spotted it, but he basically, he, he got this, uh, he was a robotics engineer guy um, who was just, uh, he, had, he had the obvious massive mustache, you know, because he's in Portland. Um, but yeah, he, we have a lot of these like crazy ironic or in some cases not ironic mustaches. Right. Well, you're, you're the West Coast uh, uh, center of the hive for hipster motherfuckers. And I live literally two blocks away from where they live on the, on the East Coast. Uh, <laughs> I live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Like Brooklyn's a bit hipster, but some of it's like genuinely gangster. Um, but Williamsburg is like trust fund kids with like a bunch of money that all shop at Goodwill and like ironically wear shit clothes and have <laughs> full on Tom Selleck's and like ridiculous French moustaches. Um, well, they all like buy incredibly expensive coffees, even though they're buying stuff from like charity shop. And it's just the whole place is ridiculous. Um, but they all have these yeah crazy facial hair that I that I complain about, but I guess I'm jealous. I'm no good at moustaches, but. Um, I saw this guy with a proper Tom Selleck moustache. He was in Portland, and he made this uh, robotics thing. And um, it's just a really funny video. It's like you, you put the you put the Oreo cookie in one end, and then like it spins it around on these arms, and then an axe comes down, and then it's got some dental floss to wipe the axe off. <laughs> and like it, it hands out, it hands out at the end these two separate halves of the cookie. Uh, How did I miss this? Cream. It's amazing. I'll put the link in the show notes, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but it's um, and they're saying like. It did an interview with him, and like, what were some of the hardest parts? He's like, well, I mean, learning robotics was pretty difficult, um, but apart from that, I, mean, I, I guess I had a really hard time keeping like my the back of my neck warm because this garage is pretty cold, and um, I guess like the largest sacrifice was I had to try, spend a lot of time trying to find a good sandwich in the area. Like, <laughs> it's one of the funniest tips I've ever come across. Um, so, so I have a question. So is Tom Selleck sort of a gold mustache standard? Yes. He is the gold. The when, when he's the gold standard, okay. So Movember is coming up real soon. Actually, I found the video yeah. much quicker than I expected. Um, Movember is coming up really soon, and Tom Selleck is like, if you grow one of those, you get top points of mustache. Wow. Like the uh, thing. This is going to make a Skype noise, so I'm pasting a link in. I apologize, but you now have, <laughs> you now have to look to that. If, that was well. I, I it was worth it. Oh my gosh! I recommend playing it now wow. and it's got on mute, but you can see the mustache, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, we have other cool stuff in Portland other than mustaches and hipsters. Like we have food carts. Nice food carts food are carts truly are amazing. amazing. Pretty awesome. And so, so uh, I actually, our office, the Mozilla Portland office, is opening up in a couple weeks. So if oh, you're wow. ever in Portland, well, and Ben, you're here, um, you should definitely stop by and check it out. I think I will. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the final date is. By, by August 1, I will be moved in, but I'm not sure what day before that. <laughs> what area is it in? Um, it's across the street from Powell's, I oh, think, okay. and um, above some gelato shop over there nice yeah it's gonna be great and we're currently working on our robotics for the taps in the office <laughs> oh there you go priorities yeah what I love about that sort of office is uh yeah just the amount of effort that goes into like beer and cool things <laughs> I, was in the, yeah, I was in the twitter office in san francisco and they had like five different kegs of some shit going on and there was a mechanical ball and like a whole massive kitchen and it was crazy <laughs> I love, I love big offices. Yeah, like I was late. I was I was there organizing a conference, and I was like, 
Um, I was running a little bit late to actually get to it. And I was like, sorry, attendees, sorry, I'm running a little bit late. I was busy drinking and riding a mechanical ball in the Twitter head office, but I, I'm here now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> best excuse I've ever used for being late for something. But um, yeah, yeah that, sounds, cool. that sounds like a pretty cool place. Uh, how many people are going to be in the office? You know, um, I think somewhere around 30, something something like that. Okay. You have to share a beer with too many people. What would you say? You have to share the beer tap to too many people. No, no, not too many. Well, well I actually, about, I think, a third of the space is dedicated to um, community stuff. So we, we have a, quite a large uh, meeting room um, that's that we're going to uh, – I mean, it's not necessarily open to the public all the time, but it's it's definitely for all the different user groups and stuff like that in the Portland area to use. And um, you know, we're working on figuring out you know how to how to make that space great for people who are into the open web. That kicks ass, nice. So, yeah. if, are you working from home at the moment? I mean, you're working for Mozilla. But where do they have you working out of? Do you use co-working spaces or just wherever you are, coffee shops? Yeah, we had a co-working space. I'm not. I'm not working from there right now. Um, right now, I'm in my my uh, my house here with my chickens and my pond and all of that. <laughs> Typical Portland. So Portland. I was going to say you want Portlandia right now? Are they filming an episode? <laughs> I definitely am. <laughs> Just want to make sure the chicken had a good life, you know, before we eat it. Can we can we see the chicken? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, the, I, I can send you some pictures of the chicken. Um, it uh, it is having a pretty good life right now. Um, that we look very good on our blog post. We should. I don't want the chicken. I don't want the chicken to be having too much fun because then I feel guilty <laughs> about eating it. It's got to be. It has to be not depressed <laughs> and not too excited that I'm taking anything away from it. It has to be kind of. I, done can, I can give you like a lounging chicken pose because it does this thing that I thought at first like the chicken was dying because I'd never seen a bird like do this before. Uh, but since since I've seen my chicken do it, I've seen other birds in the wild do it. So I guess this is just a bird thing. But anyway, like it it like it'll kind of like mosey down. It'll kind of like settle in like on the ground and then it'll like spread one of its wings out really far like in in the sunshine like it's trying to like get like a tan on the wing which is kind of flares because it can't but anyway it'll like it'll like spread it out and kind of like lean its head back a little bit and sort of like slowly close its eyes <laughs> oh wow and I have, some, I have some pretty awesome pictures of the chicken just yeah prone in the grass if you could like get a, a marker and draw a little hair on my stash on it that would make it much easier on <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. I'm wondering if we have any other questions. Uh, Out of material. We've already, we've already covered. There was one from uh, Re Reining, Jonathan Reining, um, saying, "I know my SQL very well. Yet want to use PostgreSQL. What are the biggest differences or issues I should know about?" I guess we've already covered that, so that's good. Um, and he asked the exact same question, but worded slightly differently just before that. Um, <laughs> Where are you seeing these questions? Um, I, I tweeted out on my personal account. Just uh, okay. um, oh, one thing. So um, I was spotted the other day. I know it's been around for a while, but um, Amazon RDS just finally added the supported feature um, that the kind of MySQL with memcache under the hood uh, version was now on Amazon RDS. I mean, that whole thing kind of made me very impressed uh, with, with MySQL because uh, I was just about to switch to Postgres for a different project a while back. Um, 
and um, just as because you know, Postgres did a lot of things that were quicker and it, it just seemed cooler and whatnot. And then um, right as I was going through that whole, should I switch? Should I not? They just went, and now it's got Memcache built in, and that's like a pretty cool feature. Is Postgres kind of is it looking to do anything like that, or does it need to do anything like that, or is it really quick enough that they don't really care, or what's going on? Um, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure how that feature works, but there certainly are ways of integrating Memcache into Postgres currently. Uh, like, you could write a pretty generic trigger that would shove the results of queries, either of a certain type or maybe all queries, um, into Memcache for you directly from Postgres. Uh, there's, also, there's also a thing called a foreign data wrapper, and what that does is it that this the, the foreign data wrapper would probably be more for no you could write sorry I'm like thinking a lot here but but uh, foreign data wrappers are are read or write interfaces to other data stores you know it could be you know like ones that exist are like a Twitter foreign data wrapper that allows you to query the yeah. Twitter stream as though it were a SQL uh, table or database. Um, and, and there's also Redis. Um, I believe there's a Memcache one, um, uh, MySQL. There's a Postgres foreign data wrapper, so you could, you know, it's another way of talking from Postgres database to another Postgres database. Um, yeah, so you, you could like use something F like that. You could have an SQL trigger in your SQL code, do some Facebook query language stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I would I would actually probably that type of thing I'd probably implement as a foreign data wrapper. Yeah. Uh, because then it's just, yeah, then that um, that Facebook API just looks like a table. And it could be either a table with lots of different fields in it. So you can write the foreign data wrapper in whatever way you want. It could be like, you know, a table with lots of columns. Or it could be a table that's just like a giant JSON blob. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's really a powerful feature. It's actually a SQL standard feature. It's just that most uh, databases haven't implemented it. Yeah, and speaking of standards, Postgres is fully asset, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Complete silence. Yeah. Come to Portland for databases, bikes, and beer. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Uh, so on that celebratory note of, uh, of Postgres being fully asset compliant, um, it seems like a reasonable place to, to call it a day. We've we've done our contractual obligement of uh, obligation of, of yabbering for an hour, so it's a good work for us. Um, do you guys have anything else to throw in? Anything else you want to shout out? Got a link to mention? I think I'm good. I've been trying to send you the links as we go, so it's all you. Yeah. We tried doing this whole thing for a while where we're like, oh, we're going to throw out like a, a project or a service that we've used recently that we really like. And, and after a while, I don't think anyone can really be bothered. Uh, Selena, do you have anything to, to shout out? Um, just if you're interested in Postgres stuff, definitely check out planet.postgresql.org. It really is, uh, I think, the best place to get up-to-date information about Postgres right now. It's really great. Like a whole world of information. Yes. There we go. Uh, I'm terrible at endings as you can probably tell so what I'm going to do is just say goodbye uh, thank you very much for coming on the show uh, Selena and, and Ben it's always a pleasure talking to you uh, we'll, uh, thanks for listening everybody and uh, we'll be back again soon thanks yeah. Yeah. thanks for having me bye oh wow dear listeners <laughs>